0: this is review and preview
1: on the wave the sound of LiU
0: well hello and good evening welcome to review and preview folks I am your host Tom Scavetta join alongside Kyle Russo here in the studio tonight we broadcast our show here on the liu post campus in brookville new york here on LIUWave.org, the new sound of liu follow our podcast subscribe listen to us tonight our show will be uploaded about 30 to 45 minutes prior to the conclusion anchor.fm slash review and preview again that is anchor.fm slash review and preview we are on the wave we are also on facebook live shout out our facebook live viewers If you want to call in, questions, thoughts, comments, we're on at 516-299-2030. We do have a special guest caller tonight calling around 9.15, 9.20 p.m., so stay tuned for that. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Kyle, this has been a weird week for baseball. Definitely. Uh, As tonight, we will start with the Mets, and we'll talk about the Yankees. Then we're going to recap the whole MLB talk, a little bit MLB news Give our player of the week, followed by hockey. Then we'll give our team of the week, and then we will talk NBA playoffs. Um, now, the the Mets, uh, the game that would never end Saturday night, lasted eighteen innings, and the Mets pull the typical Mets, a typical Mets thing to do. The Mets score a run in the eighteenth to take a three to two lead, but. As we all know very well, Chris Flexen, who struggled a lot last year. Um, I remember he went back and forth between Vegas and Flushing, and like he had to catch like two or three different flights just to get back in time for the game. Uh, Flexen did not look good, let up two runs in the bottom of the ninth. Kyle, this was not a good game. The Mets end up losing 4-3, to three, and the Mets came limping out of Milwaukee. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, it was not a good weekend. They lost a couple of players to injury. By the way, that game-winning home run in the 18th inning, Ryan Braun. Who else would it be? Yep. I mean, the guy who's been there the longest.
1: I think he's the longest-tenured player on the team, easily. Yeah, easily. That's a young team right there. But back to the Mets, Tom, I believe not just with the Milwaukee Trip, but the San Diego trip too. I believe they went one and five. Echo Park, yeah, you can't. They were they were just awful. And I get these are, well, Milwaukee at least, but Milwaukee's a decent team. But San Diego, they were just they were looking horrible out there. And it wasn't just from the offensive standpoint; it was from the pitching standpoint too. And and that's supposed to be your strong suit. It is, and it's just it, it just has not been there since April ended.
0: Degrom, guard it's just it, it hasn't been good so far this year. Uh, Alonzo continues to hit, though. He had two hits in the game on Saturday. And Sunday, the Mets were ended up being swept by the Brewers. Vargas only lasted four innings. Three earned runs before he got hurt, got removed from the game. And Todd Frazier, horrible in this game. The Mets hitting has not been there, and that's part of the problem. You look at guys, it's the reason why they optioned Darno. Came back healthy, wasn't good enough. Frazier, uh, Dom Smith, Ligaris, Broxton. These guys can't hit, and it's not good when I see a lineup from five to nine. If I see Frazier, Broxton, Ligaris, Nito, and then the pitcher slot, you're almost setting yourself up to lose.
1: Yep, and That's especially terrible lineup. Especially with Todd Frazier too, because the thing with Todd Frazier is he's going to be in the lineup consistently batting until. They get Jed Lowry up. And do we know a definite time on when that's going to be? Because I know Todd Frazier right now, he's batting 143 or it something like supposed that.
0: supposed to be um, – well, it's supposed to be sometime in May. That's the furthest that I know to this point because they, they keep pushing him back.
1: Okay, so hopefully soon because Todd uh, Frazier is just not doing it at third base. Well,
0: the latest update on Jed is possibly tonight. That was updated as of two days ago that he might return tonight. Look, I don't know that a sprains capsule in a left knee takes this long. I mean...
1: No, this has been significantly long. He got hurt, like, on the first or second day of training camp.
0: Yeah. Uh, And to be fair, I mean, there's really not much of an excuse. The only player of significance the Mets are missing long-term is Drew Smith, and he's out for the rest of the season. Yeah. He's got Tommy John. Yeah. Everyone else... Cespedes will possibly return by the All Star break. He's the only other player of note, and I don't even think he'll make much of a difference right now because honestly, this offense is just flat. Uh, They travel to San Diego, as you were alluding to. Game one of the series. Now, my uncle and my cousins were at this game, and or they they were at pretty much every game this entire series Um, because they're from Arizona. They went out to San Diego. It was not a fun series. Yep. Chris Paddock, who had some beef with Pete Alonzo because Alonzo got National League Rookie of the Month. What were your thoughts on that beef between those two guys?
1: It was just it was dirty. I mean, they're, they're, they're two of the best young players that the league has to offer right now. Chris Paddock is one of the best pitchers in the league, and Pete Alonzo, you know, it keeps on getting brought up every week. Russo, why'd you say that they shouldn't have brought him up? They should have waited the month. Or they should have waited a few weeks or whatever. Well, you know what? I'll take it up right now and I'll take responsibility for my claim. I was wrong. This kid, Pete Alonso, could flat out play. He's the best player on your team right now and he is absolutely carrying. He's been fantastic. I know you guys have Jeff McNeil, but Pete Alonso has been a highlight reel yeah. game in and game out.
0: Well, to be fair, Jeff McNeil is one of the best hitters in baseball and Alonso is up there for amongst the home run leaders in baseball. So, you know, it's definitely something to consider moving forward how well these guys have played which this is something the Mets did not have last year the best they had was the combo of Nimmo and Conforto and Conforto let's face it he was ice cold last year and Nimmo was really the only semi-pedestrian bat that the Mets had now the paddock game the Grom pitched for the Mets. He gave up just two runs, four hits. He had a solid outing, but he did throw a lot of pitches, seven innings, and still got the loss. A typical 2018 start for the Grom. The Mets couldn't hit for him. Lose four nothing. Game two. The Mets hold on to win this game, seven to six. A game that Sinigard had, but Sinigard, look, I hate starts, and Mike Dawes, our engineer, who's not here tonight, he brought it up last week. You hate to see Cyndergaard throw 5 or 6 innings and throw like 110 pitches, 9 strikeouts, and that's exactly what kind of start this was. Yeah. 6 innings pitched, 4 runs, 9 hits, over 100 pitches. I mean, it's completely unacceptable. And then it's the the Mets still won, but that's because Pete Alonso decided to hit a 450-foot home run. Yeah. with his little bat flip which the home plate umpire was not a fan of. No. But it wasn't just him. I know Alonzo. I think he's he has at least 11 home runs on the season now. I, we gotta think, get,
1: I believe it is. Yeah, it's 11. 11 and it's 31. 11, 11 mm-hmm. dingers, uh, 31, 31
0: ribbies. Yeah, yeah, so that's great. Those are very consistent numbers for him. But the real story in this game, Robinson Cano, a guy who the Mets acquired via trade from Seattle in the offseason, a guy that was supposed to come in and provide immediate offense, he did his first at bat as a Met. He hit a home run. But since, I mean... He's been cold. He's, he's been, been in, He's been in the doghouse, Kyle. He's been terrible. Four hits in this game. He blossomed, broke out. Edwin Diaz, back healthy, gets the save. Third game of this series, the rubber game. Wilmer Font makes his Mets debut, and oh boy. Four innings. Not good. The Mets lose this game 3-2. to Tyler Bashler just recalled last week, gave up the game-winning homer or the game-winning run in the seventh. Look, the Mets had their chances, but...
1: I mean, these are games that you have to win. Yeah. I mean, San Diego, they're they are a decent team. They got some young players. We know they got Machado. They got some decent young pitching. But these are games you have to win, especially when you look at the schedule for the Mets in June. Yeah. These are games you need to take away mm-hmm. because June is going to be a nightmare. It is going
0: to be a nightmare because May is already looking bad. The Mets are under 500 now. They've won one out of their last seven Series and what usually happens is Kyle, mm-hmm. and you're going to laugh at this. Okay, the Mets usually start out well. No, we know they do. We know they they April was good. Have one of the best starts April was in the MLB good. every single year. But once the Mets go under 500 for the first time, over 10 games into the season, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. There's no recovering from. Mm-hmm. It. And I hate to say it, you could talk about Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, Robbie Cano all you want. Yeah. There is nobody else. I understand you went out and got bats, but you don't have depth. Your depth is outstanding defensive players like lagaris and Broxson. That's why you don't give up that many runs, and you have the best starting pitching in your d- d- division. Let's be realistic here.
1: It hasn't looked like that, really. It really—I well, mean, it's been it good, because—but it's it just has not been what it was, and well, what was expected. It, it's
0: gotten worse because Vargas. IL, Mats had a nerve issue in his arm, the Mets get Justin Wilson back off the IL, so some bullpen depth, and Avilan goes down mm-hmm. with an injury, probably for the better. Uh, which the pitchers have gone back and forth. Peterson got sent down, Corey Oswalt and Tyler Bashler came back up, Cespedes got transferred to the 60-day IL, great, and then the Mets acquired Wilmer Font last week in a trade from Tampa Bay, Mats and Vargas go down, I mean, you should follow the path here, and that path is telling you and is screaming for you to go out and sign one of these two big guns in Dallas Keuchel as a starter and Craig Kimbrell as a relief pitcher because right now you get a lead. You can't hold it. You can't.
1: I was reading about it today with Dallas Keuchel specifically. Because the Yankees were supposedly interested in him, but in order to sign Dallas Keichel, they would have to then give up their first round pick. Correct. But so they have to wait after till June first. Yeah, exactly. So, so that would be the reason that would be my only reasoning behind why a team would not go out and do it, especially at this point. Especially a team like the Mets who are now I can't believe I'm saying this, but in desperate need for pitching right. or consistency in somewhere. But that would be my only reasoning behind not signing But Craig Kimbrell, I cannot believe that they have not even uh, not even talked about I
0: it. I think part of it is Kimbrell, not the Mets. I think Kimbrell wants a closing role, and I don't know if he'll accept an eighth-inning role, which realistically, there's not many teams looking for closers right now. No. It's all eighth-inning guys, and sometimes that's a sacrifice you got to make. Mm-hmm. I know the Angels and the Rays actually don't have a full-time closer right now. They're closer by committee, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Castillo and those guys, but yeah the Mets got to do something man uh the do- uh Travis darno is headed to the Dodgers they lose him we talked about the players who can not hit uh, virtually the whole team which there's an exception tonight is the Mets are currently up nine to two in the third inning we'll get to that in just a few moments fantastic um but yeah so this just doesn't make sense because last week ciguard got the national league player of the week right Yep, comes out and has this type of start: four runs, nine hits, and six innings. Unacceptable Yeah. from a star pitcher. Unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And then tonight, you got Zach Wheeler going out there against Pablo Lopez, and this is critical. The Mets are up nine to two in this game via a solo shot by Conforto, and the scoring actually got started off in the first inning. Ahmed Rosario hit a grand slam. Nice. Which, that's great.
1: Yeah. That's much-needed offense. Definitely much-needed offense. It and, is. I mean, this is—I'm not going to say anything negative, but I'm looking at the pitch count now for Wheeler, and it's kind of up there, especially for a team like Miami. He's already at 55 pitches. He's only at the third inning. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how much longer he's going to last in there.
0: That's a problem, but at least with Miami, you don't have to worry about too many bats, yeah, especially exactly. when two of their yeah. starters are your former players, and Neil Walker and Curtis
2: Granderson.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, no, you're right, but this is— I mean, Tom. I was looking at the Mets' schedule. These next sixteen games, they have to. They play Washington, I believe, twice. They play Miami, I mean, two times in a series. I believe it's a total of seven games. They play Miami six times, and then they played Detroit three times. Correct. Those are all games. I'm not obviously you're not going to win all sixteen games. It's just not going to happen. Baseball, every game, sport, you it's just not going to happen. Yeah. But you need to take away if you're these if you're this Mets team, you need to take away at least ten of these games. Yeah, I mean, and I know it sounds like a high number up there, but Miami six times, Washington has been an inconsistent team, been pretty bad. You guys won this first series against uh, the Nationals, I believe. Yeah. And then Detroit three games. Who it's again, doable. again, a shaky team.
0: I mean, you look at it tonight so far, J.D. Davis two for two, Cano two for two, Wilson Ramos led off the game with uh, a two-run hit, and then it was followed by Nimmo walking in a, or getting a walk to bring in a run. And then Rosario hit the Grand Slam, you know, put us up 7-0 in the first inning. Yeah. The Mets scored eight runs in that first inning,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which that's all great. And then, of course, tomorrow, Caleb Smith against Syndergaard.
1: You, got, you just got it again.
0: Alcantara against the Grom tomorrow. And then Caleb Smith against Syndergaard on Sunday. Uh,
1: that's your best three pitches right yeah. now. you got to win those games.
0: It's the only bright spot of this week, if you ask me, is Alonso continues to hit. Yeah. And... Robbie Cano, oh, congratulations, you got your 2,500th career RBI, you're 36 years old.
1: He's been, he's been, I mean, congratulations upon it, but he's been awful. He's starting to hit better, he's back up to two sixty five. I mean, that's decent, but he's only getting up there older in age. Well, considering where he was at.
0: Jeff Jeff McNeil, the guy currently at the plate, hitting three sixty one.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Um... Bad news uh, for the Mets. Ron Darling has been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. He will be out for a while. They're expecting him to return next month. But we wish Ron nothing but the best because that is a great voice on SNY in the Mets broadcasting booth, and he'll for sure be missed.
1: Yeah. When I first heard about this, I couldn't believe the news, not necessarily the diagnosis itself, but I believe Ron Darling himself, he said he'd be back in a month, which is crazy to me because going through this type of case scenario and situation this is something that could have you out potentially for the entire season oh yeah let alone a month mhm so i mean again prayers are with him knock on wood hope he gets better back in the booth but a month i mean that's kind of crazy if you ask me oh completely agree i with mean you. i hope it happens if that if that's the case scenario glad to hear it but his replacement
0: todd zeal pedestrian at best uh he he's not you know he's a filling guy that's what he is which uh ron darling you just hope he gets back in there soon because some of these road trips keith hernandez can't make yeah so it's just gary and you know todd so we'll see and they should throw steve gelbs in the booth that would be nice commentary a little bit um instead of some pickings out there but um yeah, and Jeff, Jeff McNeil just did a solo home run,
1: 10-2. Oh, my goodness. McNeil, that's, nice that's
0: only a second home run of the season, but fun fact, 11 hits
1: in his last eight games. This is what they need. They need this consistency, I, especially in these games. These games should be field days for this and team. And what about Rosario? Everybody wants to bash him. He's hitting two eighty three out of the eight hole. What more can you ask from the eight hitter? You know what it is? Everybody He's wants a good to... player. When he came up, everybody was thinking he's going to be the home run guy. But he's a shortstop. They don't do that. They don't hit home runs. They have consistent batting average, batting averages, and they get on base, he's and that's what he's doing. He's Exactly, years old. exactly. He's a spring chicken. Exactly, Tom. Couldn't say it better, but, I mean, he's doing his job. On that note, we're going to step
0: aside for a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about the New York Yankees and their current status. You're listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo. One segment down, seven to go. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us here tonight on liuwave.org for our weekly show. Remember, you can call in questions, thoughts, comments, 516-299-2030. Take part in our live show. Uh, we had some technical difficulties with Facebook Live, but it is now back up. And remember... You could listen to our podcast after tonight's show. If you missed some stuff you want to catch up on, anchor.fm slash review and preview. Go check us out, listen to us, subscribe, like us. Thanks. So, Block B, let's get to the Yankees. Just talked about the Mets, 17 and 20, third place in the East. But the Yankees, 22 and 15, despite all these injuries, everything that was going on, and. The Yankees are somehow just a game-and-a-half back of the Tampa Bay Rays, who, Kyle, the Rays have been fantastic this year with some outstanding
1: starting pitching. Yep. Uh, how are the Yankees doing this? I'm just going to say right now, and it's not me being biased. I, I think it's a, almost a factual statement. The Yankees are the best team in baseball. They are the best uh, team in baseball. They are. You're tripping. You if They are missing 12 of their starting players right now. If you put that, combine what they have right now in the starting lineup, this team is virtually unbeatable. They're playing the Rays right now. They're up 2-0 on one of the best pitchers in the league right now, Tyler Glasnow, and Domingo Herman, fantastic. Two innings into the game, already has five strikeouts. I mean, this, this team is just so deep. Guys are stepping up. Gio Urshela, Clint Frazier, the list goes on and on. DJ LeMahieu, guys getting it done. This team is incredible. I, I don't know how they are doing it, but they're doing it.
0: This week, it was not a good start for them in a series they had this past weekend. Who they play this weekend again? They play
1: the Mariners, right? Uh, or the, they play the Mariners, no, they played the Mariners, this, Mariners week. this week. I believe they played. played the A's? No, they didn't play the A's. Who did they play? But I'll check for you real quick. The Mariners
0: series, the four game set that started Monday, the Yankees. Monday night, win seven to three. Sabathia, the Twins. They play played the twins. just five innings. That's right, Minnesota. F- three runs and five hits. Typical CC start. Luke Voigt hits his tenth run of, tenth home run of the year, and then this kid, Tyro Estrada, gets two RBIs. Never heard of him until we put this script together this week, and then, and Duhard Monday had an awful return. He's been he's been two really errors. Bad.
2: He's been really rich.
0: You know, you're talking about a Yankees team that was, you know, coming off an okay weekend series against Minnesota. Um, look, it's Minnesota's a good team this year, though. Minnesota. They are a good team
1: this year. They, they, they figured it out. They got a decent amount of players in the offseason that have helped them out. They've had guys, <laughs> excuse me, they've had guys that have stepped up. And, I mean, they're just performing very well. Obviously, listen. The Yankees are a good team, and they got outperformed this weekend. I believe they wanted up losing the series. Did they play two games or three games? I believe it was two, and the Yankees came away with one of those. So, tied the series. They came out with a win, but like you said, Tom, this Minnesota team—I mean, they're a good team. They are a good team. There's no doubt about it. They
0: played three games.
1: They played three. So the Yankees took the away. third
0: game. Got shortened
1: after eight innings due that's, to weather. That's right. It was raining. And then Cinco de Mayo. I know that the Twins won the second game of the series. The Yankees won the last game. So who won the first? They did. Uh, believe, I believe it was the Yankees. Yeah. Okay, so they did
0: win the they, series. They won 6-3. But it was still it was an okay series. Hap didn't look great. That's still concerning. Germán has been great. Nothing new there. Um, and then that translates into this week where the Yankees... Uh, Monday night, they won with CC on the mound. And then uh, Tuesday, the Yankees win a close one with Tanaka, who had a, a solid outing. And Gio Urshela, again, two RBIs. He's been a force for the Yankees' lineup ever since he came up. Kyle, where did this guy come from?
1: I it have no idea. just seems like they I pick him no. up out they of just, nowhere. This is what they do. They have all these guys in Scranton, and they just bring him up. And then they instantly become. I I can't remember the last guy that has come up that they brought up that has not been good. Talkman was good. Mike Ford was good. Clint Frazier was good. Tario Estrada was good. Uh, Gio Urshela has been fantastic for this team. I mean, it's just name after name after name. They've been fantastic at every end.
0: Yeah. Um, he's 27 years old from Columbia. And as of right now, he's played, uh, so far, he's played 29 games for the Yankees and two home runs, 11 RBIs, 354 average. I'll take it. I'll take that. Um, looking at other Yankees games this week, Wednesday night they got clobbered, though, 10-1. to Lasajo was on the mound, and it was not good. Uh, the only run scored via a Luke Voigt RBI. And then the Mariners' starting pitcher, Kikuchi, apparently, did you see, um, Had like he had like a substance on his cap? I but don't... It was never... Recon- there was no recognition of it from the officials, from the umpire. I don't... I mean, it looked to me Awfully first, strange.
1: It looked to me at first like it was dirt, but, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that Noam's ran on the mound and just checked it out because it was blatantly obvious. I could see it from my TV at home that he had something under his lid, but I, I can't believe they didn't check it out. I'm not too
0: sure what this substance was, but... No was investigation a whatsoever. A little...
1: Uh, alarming to me, at least. Um, I mean, maybe it was nothing for it to be that blatantly obvious. Maybe it was nothing, but I, I have no idea. And then Thursday, series finale. Yanks win 3-1.
0: Hap goes just five innings, but only gives up one hit the entire time. Seven strikeouts. Urshela again two ribbies. Kids a machine. Yep. And then the only run allowed in this game was a home run given up by Hap in the ninth inning. Chapman. Chapman, excuse me. Yep. The closer. That's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, so that was the Yankees week leading into tonight. Because realistically, you're looking at the Yankees right now, 7 games above 500. And the best pl- the best hitter on this team, I still think is DJ LeMahieu.
1: Well, average average-wise it's or shallow, yeah, but I get, I get, many, I, get I get what you're saying. I get I get what you're saying. He hasn't had as
0: many at bats though.
1: So. Yeah. DJ LeMahieu is a veteran in this league, and I knocked the signing. I'll take responsibility for this one too. He has saved this team from ultimately sinking with his batting percentage, his on base percentage, his consistent hitting. He has been our leadoff guy. Eleven game hitting streak, Kyle. He's been our leadoff guy. It's supposed to be Brett Gardner, but
0: he's been our leadoff guy. Colorado made a stake by not bringing him back. Yep. I'm telling you. I think he's there to stay. Hopefully. Starting. I hope. Told you, you're going to like this guy. Oh, no. Well, you also said
1: I like Troy Tulowitzki, and
0: that... Well, to be fair, they're both former Colorado Rockies, which, I mean, that's something to consider. A quick reminder, we are broadcasting our show here tonight on liuwave.org. It is graduation day. Congratulations to uh, one of our former co-hosts, Chris Klamazewski, graduating today.
1: Yeah, congrats, Chris.
0: And also a former fill-in engineer, Mark Sanger, used to be on the show. Shout-out to him as well. And WCWP's very own Andrew Servidio, all graduating today, seniors, the class of 2019. Just wanted to take a minute there to bring that up. Now, we talked about this past week for the Yankees. Let's set up the weekend series. They're playing Tampa Bay. This game is huge. Tyler Glass now is on the mound tonight, and arguably, Kyle... Class now has right now the best, best numbers ERA. in baseball. I believe he has the best ERA. yeah. I still think he's up there, best ERA. Yeah, but
1: the Yankees are up two nothing on him. He's got one forty-seven. Yes, it. that's his ERA. But I mean, if you get any lead on this guy, it's it's a lead to be taken. Right now they're at the uh, top of the fifth, I believe, and he's thrown seventy-two pitches. Yes. So soon to come out potentially. But this Yankees team, I mean, they just they got it all together. I don't know how, but they do.
0: Uh, to hold the race to two hits through half a game that's pretty good especially a team you know fam and Austin Meadows making his return tonight coming off the 10 day il uh something to keep in mind that he's been out for a while back in that leadoff spot for Tampa Bay of course you got uh Yandy Diaz. yeah Diaz, Brandon Low Garcia mm-hmm. on at the dh position I mean it's all been uphill for Tampa Bay but the real test is going to be the Yankees and the question is can the Red sox get back in this race? That's something to consider as well. But the pitching matchup is great. Um, it really has been great uh, between Tampa Bay and the Yankees. Glass now and Germond tonight. Germond, four innings pitched, no runs, two hits. And then tomorrow going, you got Tanaka against Snell. Blake Snell, American League C.Y. Young last year over here, a kid that nobody really knew about before last season. I mean, people knew him, but they didn't really see him
1: as a big guy. Well, that that's going to be Sunday's game. Tomorrow, CC's is pitching. It's Tomorrow is CC against to be determined. Yeah, and then Sunday the, yeah. we get. Yeah, but still, no. Yeah, definitely. That's going to be a, that's going to be a great matchup.
0: Um, and the Yankees are getting healthier. They mm-hmm. are less hurt than they were two weeks ago. Batansis is not too far away. Greg Bird is still hurt. Jacoby Ellsbury, Ben Heller, Dede Gregorius, Aaron Hicks comes back on Monday. The judge is out for about another month. Jordan Montgomery, James Paxton. Giancarlo Stanton, Troy Tulowitzki, all still hurt, and then Luis Severino is still a while away. He's not going to
1: be back till after All-Star. We'll see.
0: We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk some more MLB news, talk about our MLB Player of the Week, talk about a lot of the games that have been going on. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org. Welcome back to Review Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo here in the studio. Guys, a fantastic week in sports. Baseball has been great. The NBA playoffs getting close to those conference finals now. One team is already clinching the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll talk about them a little bit later. And, of course, we have a big interview tonight on the show with Travis Demers. Uh, the play-by-play radio announcer for the Portland Trailblazers, former WCWP staff member. And we look forward to chatting with him in just a little bit. Now, let's get some MLB news. On Sunday, the Cincinnati Reds became the first team in 12 years to homer on three straight pitches. Now, I didn't know this going into that 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 has happened because sometimes I feel like with the way offense has been dominating the game as of late. There's less elite pitchers than there were a couple of years ago. Now, the good pitching is few and far between. You'd expect more hits and more home runs, but no. Um, first time in 12 years this has happened. And the Cincinnati Reds, I mean, you know, you look at their record right now. They're at the bottom of the NL Central, 16-22. and 22. They're not a bad... They're not a terrible team, but they're still a rebuilding team. A team they're, that, they're a mess. Yeah. I mean, they're well, kind of a mess. Sonny Gray is there and Joey Botto. So Sonny, Gray
1: to owned Sonny Gray is for 4 Sonny Gray is forward, I he believe a uh, 4, close to a 5 ERA. Close to 5. It close might be over 5, five now. Uh, potentially, if he's pitched another game since the last time I checked. But, yeah. I mean, this team is a mess. they got some young players. they got Nick Senzel, who came up, I believe. He's very good. He's very good. He's consistent. I believe he's their center fielder. Don't quote me on that. But he's been decent. He's been very good. He got, in his first game, he got robbed of a home run. And then a couple of innings later, he hit another one. Yeah, But he's definitely a decent player to start building around. You got Yasiel Puig. You got other guys. But, I mean, this team, they're not, they're not built for competing right now. No, they're not.
0: They're a team that's young, and we'll see what they can do in the coming years and in the coming months of the season. Cody Bellinger reportedly will no longer play first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers. This was made after um, management coming out and saying they want to protect
1: Cody's left shoulder. Genius move. Yeah. Genius move as one of the best offensive powerhouse batter, uh, batters in the entire league. I mean, you got to do anything at this point to protect what you have that's consistent. Yeah. I mean, good
0: move by Dave Roberts. Uh, I mean, I guess you're going to throw him in the outfield.
1: But now who do they play at first base now? Muncie. Mac, Max Muncy, Yep, mm-hmm. That's a good answer, right? That's a good one.
0: Bellinger, second in the league in home runs, only behind Yellich. Leads the MLB in runs batted in by one. Second is Yellich. He's been fantastic, um, which is good news for the Dodgers because they're also dealing with A.J. Pollock, who they acquired from the Diamondbacks in the offseason. Kyle, he's out for another six weeks. Something to keep in mind there. It's not good.
1: And Corey Seeger, you thought after missing all of last season he'd come back and he'd be a come back right where he left off. He's just he just has not been good. You would have thought, right? Yep. He's just not been good. So let's analyze
0: the hitting in MLB first. Uh Carlos Correa riding as of Tuesday, he had a sixteen game hitting streak, which is fantastic. Yep. Which is very fantastic. And Jeff McNeil, the second best average in baseball. Tampa Bay the best record in the American League early this week. They're still at the top, the top team. Minnesota currently the top team in the oh, American God. League. But earlier this week, they were the best team in baseball. Now they're 23-13. and 13. They're tied for the most wins in the American League with the Astros and the Twins, which that's good news for them because they get Josh Reddick back. A couple of highlights of him on Center. Uh... Other big hitters this week. Joey Gallo becomes the first MLB hitter to hit hundred home runs
1: before hitting hundred singles. What
0: do you think about that?
1: I mean, that's that—that's a fun fact right there. But that's almost depressing. I mean, really, a hundred? He's—I mean, it's—it's it's amazing. Dude, that's worse than James. But Bruce, it's, man, you could—I mean, two ten. We know what right Joey. Career. Obviously, it's the beginning of the season. He has a decent batting average, I believe, right now. I mean, I think it's rolling around the two fifties, somewhere around there. But we know what Joey Gallo. I mean, last last season, I believe we he did. finished off like 220, 210 batting average yeah. because he's just a home run hitter. But 100 home runs before hitting his 100th single incredible. Just shows what the league has become. Now, one thing I got to say the Rays,
0: we were just talking about their dominant pitching, Snell and Glass now. The mm-hmm. biggest lift for them, which I think Tampa Bay is going to continue to excel, Austin Meadows just came back tonight, a guy who was hitting 340 before going down. Mm-hmm. He just hit a home run. Oh, we just hit one home. So Tampa Bay, hot. yeah. He was hot. Tampa Bay now, well, has tied this game at two. So now, Germán and Glass now will go to total war. Glass now has eight strikeouts in this game already. Germán has five, which, I mean, I got to give Glass now the edge only because he's been consistent. He's got the for better yard. Yeah. yeah. Um, Puholz gets his 2000th career RBI. And then I guess we'll throw this in there. Kyler Murray's rookie NFL contract is all guaranteed money, but his baseball contract not as much. He's making about twelve to fifteen million more in the NFL than he would
1: in Major League Baseball. And also another thing I saw today, I wanted to put it on, on the script, but I forgot to. His signing bonuses with the o- Oakland Athletics, not his contract, but the signing bonuses would have been around five million dollars, I believe. His signing bonus with the Arizona Cardinals, $23 million. So I, I, I think we could say even if he doesn't pan out, he made the right decision. 21-year-old kid
0: from Bedford, Texas, 5'10", 200 pounds,
1: $23 million bonus. Just in bonus. bonuses. And then you already have a fully guaranteed four-year he contract. He could live off that. Yep. He could live off a tenth of that. And in Arizona, I don't know what the taxes are, but I doubt they are high. Pitching,
0: we, we haven't seen much good pitching, but we did see a no-hitter this week. The Oakland A's Mike Fears pitches a no-hitter against the Cincinnati Reds. 131 pitches. Lengthy, but worth it if you're going for a no-hitter. Yeah, Six strikeouts, two walks. He becomes the fifth active MLB pitcher with multiple no-hitters, so two or more. And that's crazy, because when you think of all the aces that are around in the MLB, uh, Mike Fears... One of five? With more than one no-hitter? Do we know the other four?
1: I, I mean, can't, I can't my guess,
0: I might. if I had to take a wild guess, Felix Hernandez would have
1: to be one of them. Is Jake Arrieta on there? I think he might be. Don't quote me on that, but I think he might be. But
0: I... I'm not trying to go stat digging for something that'll take us about yeah, 45 yeah. minutes. But, um, yeah, I figured that was worth bringing up. Mike Fears has been...
1: Good a good pitcher year. for a long time. Not too
0: great, yeah. Now, the MLB aces that are struggling, DeGrom, Thor, Sale, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, Madison Bumgarner, Kyler, Kyle Freeland, Carlos Carrasco, they're all struggling. They're all still struggling. Russo, that leads me to ask you this. Russo the Mad Dog here. Mm-hmm. Who's the best pitcher in baseball right now?
1: Is it is it Glass now, or does somebody I mean, else... I can't – we we're only in May. It's only been – how many games has Glass now pitched? Probably about seven or eight. I mean, I can't give it – this is his first starting season, I believe. Is this the first that he's starting pitching? Who else are you going to give it to? I don't know, but that's I, – I guess i got to give it to him. A 147 ERA, i got to give it to him. And and Tampa is now beating not my Yankees. Not Not Domingo. I wanted to do Domingo, but – I can't. we in the Yankees jersey. You got to represent like uh, a true fan.
0: I'm I'm representing the team. They're Being realistic, that's good.
1: Yeah. Sports
0: talk. Yeah.
1: So who's your last
0: now? Is six and zero. Oh. I mean, he, him, and German and Jose Barrios from the Twins are tied yeah. for the most wins. I mean, I think right now it's a toss up between him and Zach Davies.
1: Zach Davies from the Brewers, yes. I believe, right. four and one, fantastic. one
0: point five six earned run average. Now he only has twenty six strikeouts. But he gets players out relatively quick, which that's always something that's really good to have. And But there's one other pitcher, which I will get to in just a few moments for my MLB Player of the Week. But Kyle Russo, first, I'd like to hear who your MLB Player of the Week is
1: and why. MLB Player of the Week. It's got to it's be Gio Urshela. Gio Urshela has carried a team down from the trenches and 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 just absolutely have taken them to the promised land. He's not the home run guy, but the batting average, with the on-base percentage it's combined there, with the yeah. clutchness, it's it's there. And it's consistent. It almost makes you say, do we need and do Horback at third base when we got this guy who is a better defender at third base too? Exactly. It's it's crazy. Um my
0: MLB player of the week. He's a pitcher from the Detroit Tigers. Spencer Turnbull, 38 strikeouts, 14 walks on the season, an ERA of 2.31. Pretty good, right? That's good. That is good. His ERA is seventh lowest in baseball. Turnbull has a record of 2-2, two and two, and he has just one earned
1: run in his last three starts combined. That's a good one. We were talking on the phone last night. You said it was going to be a surprise. That was definitely a surprise. Also, fun fact. Yep.
0: He has also not allowed more than three hits in each of his last three starts. That's great. And he has won his last two starts. So it started out 0-2, 2-2. and I think Spencer Turnbull is worthy of my MLB player of the week from the detroit tigers i mean you look at the detroit tigers right now 16 and 18 you know below 500 start than previous years Mm -hmm. but the al central has a race now between minnesota and cleveland so detroit you know might get left out the pack middle of the pack
1: yeah
0: let's get some hockey why don't we now Mm -hmm. that we got that out of the way oh Did, did you know who turnbull was before i just brought him up
1: no idea. He's, a, he's on my fantasy. I was rolling team as well. with it. He's on had my fantasy. No idea. I was a good pickup. Obviously, with those numbers, good pickup. I can't wait to get to this.
0: New York Islanders' first <laughs> playoff sweep in franchise history via the Carolina Hurricanes. Their first playoff sweep in franchise history. What do you think about that? I think it was, psychology. Yeah, right? It was
1: very, very depressing from a team that had a potential of a lot of hope, but. Sure, I'm just gonna say, straight up, say it. I mean, this Carolina team is fantastic, and I know they lost. Oh yeah, to Boston last night, but this team is just offensively dominant, defensively skilled. Uh, it's just incredible, and the goalie too. It's not even their starting goalie, Curtis McElhaney? McElhaney. that's what his <laughs> just name is. Call him Mac. Mac. He's just, oh my goodness, the and saves.
0: Steve Razak's not bad either, but McElhaney, Yeah, he plays the game saves seven.
1: that he was he was making on these Islanders' shots were just incredible. I mean, you couldn't knock the way they were playing. They were just straight-up outplaying the Islanders.
0: I'll give you that one. That's, um... He's... He really... Yeah. He's been fantastic. I'll say it. He's the reason why the Hurricanes are still in the playoffs, if you ask me.
1: Oh, without a doubt.
0: Um, The Boston-Columbus series ended in five games. Six goals combined were scored in the third period of that game in game... in game five, Boston hang hung on to win four to three, took a three to two series lead. And then Boston won game six, three nothing win. Four to two series win over the Blue Jackets. Uh when you sweep when you sweep a team for the Lightning like the Lightning, you better hope that you have a good encore. And I thought the Blue Jackets played respectable. You are a little bit disappointed that they did not perform to the magnitude that they did against the Lightning. Mm-hmm. But, hey, it was a good season for Columbus, led by an excellent head coach and John Tortorella.
1: I mean, they weren't supposed to be here. I mean, all the odds were stacked against them. They weren't supposed to be. And mm-hmm. even after sweeping the Lightning, well, I, I still don't believe anybody had them coming out victorious against Boston. And they forced them to six games. I mean, last game, the last game was a shutout, but they forced them to six games, a very good team.
0: I completely agree with you. Now, the Western Conference, the Sharks and the Avs, oh, this went seven games, and this was great. Uh, The Avs seemed to be on their heels when Thomas Hurdle scored the game-winning overtime goal in Game 5 to give the Sharks a 3-2 to series lead. But Gabriel Landeskog beats Jones, the Sharks' goalie, in overtime to force a Game 7 back in San Jose. And then Game 7, Joe Pavelski comes back, scored, came back from injury. Sharks win 3-2. to two. They win this series. This was the first Game 7 all playoffs to not to go into overtime. First Game 7 in all of playoffs that did not need an extra period. Uh, a lot of games went to double overtimes, especially in that first round. So, the other series in Round 2, Blues and the Stars. This was fun. This was fun because the Blues... We're down three to two. Remember the Stars? They took a big three to two win. And then they get destroyed the stars in game six in front of their own fans, their last home game of the season. Jaden Schwartz had two points in this game. Jordan Jordan Beninting, a rookie goalie, to make the saves that he's been making. Remember
1: he's been really good. January
0: seventh, the Blues were last in all of hockey.
1: Yeah, they had one last of the worst place. records in the league. And now
0: they're one of the final four. Can you explain that? I can't. It's unexplainable.
1: I can't. That see that's how great hockey is. It's just it's it's probably the best sport to watch in the playoffs. Oh
0: yeah, it's the best playoff out of any sport because I mean the best championship game is the Super Bowl hands down cuz you only get one game as were all the other sports you have a series to go through. But the playoffs the championship I mean, just series. but the playoffs are just fun to watch. You get a lot of them. They last almost 2 months long or mm-hmm. more than that, which that's pretty insane. Bennington had 22 saves in Game 6. Game 7, the Blues take it in home ice. Pat Maroon, game-winning goal in OT. Which sets up the conference finals, the Eastern Conference, the Boston Bruins, the 3-seed, the Carolina Hurricanes, the 7-seed meeting up. It's the first time these two teams met in a playoff series since 2009. That was 10 years ago. Bruins won this game 5-2. Uh... Now, realistically, to Rask, great goalie. Without a doubt. But this is going to be a series where the Hurricanes need their leaders like Justin Williams, Warren Fogle. Those guys need to step up and make some plays because, first of all, Sve- Sve- Svechnikov got leveled again. The poor kid can't even process these hits that he's taken. And I don't know what it is, but... But Canes did not look good last night on the road. You can't give up five goals after having a fantastic defensive series. You you can't do it.
1: Not just that, but having the lead on this Boston team going into the third period. Correct. They let up four goals in the third period, which is just. Boston scored like two goals in 30 seconds. Yep, that is true.
0: Two goals in 32 seconds. And they scored four goals in the third period. You're right. That just can't happen. No. And then the other series in the West, you got the Blues. And the Sharks. This is going to be interesting. The Sharks also a three seed, and the Blues a five seed. The Blues rode here. They beat Winnipeg. They, yeah, they did beat Winnipeg. And then they just beat Dallas. Yep. The Sharks. They beat Vegas. And they just took care of the Avs, who upset the number one seed, Calgary Flames. So. It's gonna be fun to watch. I mean, you got veterans on the Sharks like Brett Burns, Joe Pavelski, Logan Couture, Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton. Yeah. These guys are old. They're veterans. They're the favorites. You'd like to see
1: them. What? Hands down,
0: they're the favorites. That the Blues like yeah. are like the Cinderella team. Yeah, they've been written off so many times this year, including myself, written them off. You know, yeah. first year working hockey. Mm-hmm. You got to really consider how lucky I think the Blues are to be here. It's been a great effort. But at the same time, they are lucky. They're a young team. They definitely deserve to be here. Without a doubt. But every playoff run results in a little bit of luck here and there, um, which I think is going to be great moving forward. On that note, we are going to step aside for another quick break, and when we come back, we will have our team of the week and start previewing the NBA playoffs with a much-anticipated call from Tra- from Travis Demers. You're listening to Review and Preview here on liuwave.org.
2: As I was going over
0: the We're getting a little bit Irish in here. More than a little bit. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo here in the studio. We are broadcasting tonight's episode of Review and Preview here, where we always do, on the LIU Post Campus in Brookville, New York. Happy graduation to LIU Post, Class of 2019. You know, it's been two years ago since I graduated. Always enjoy talking sports in this building here at WCWP. We are broadcasting on liuwave.org. That's the new sound of LIU. We are on Facebook Live, our call-in number. If you want to talk to us, take part in our live show tonight, Kyle. What do the callers do? They call in at 516-299-2030. And what do they do? They take part in our live show. Yep, they do. (laughs) And also, big news about our podcast, you got to subscribe because we have great episodes up there waiting to be listened to. Anchor.fm slash review and preview. Team of the week. I'm going to go first this week. I am going to go first, and I'm going to flat out say it. The Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, that's sports have been great in Milwaukee right now. Fantastic, not just football but baseball as well. Brewers on a seven-game winning streak. But I, I had to go with the Bucks on this one. Uh, they're my team of the week, and I mean we'll talk about them later on when we get into the into the Eastern Conference playoff analysis segment. But the Bucks. Not just led by Giannis Antetokounmpo, they have excellent role players. Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, players off the bench, Ersan Eliasoa, George Hill, Pat Connaughton. They've been great this whole playoffs for a team that's been missing Malcolm Brogdon. And now you added weapons, not just like Hill, off the street. You got Nikola Mirotic as well in a a trade. I mean, I think it's all worked out great for Milwaukee so far this postseason. They've only lost... One game the entire postseason. So far, they're 8-1. and one. Kyle Russo, I think I might know the answer to this, but who is your team of the week?
1: You were going into it a little bit. I was going to say the Brewers, but I'm going to switch it up because you read into it a little bit. You I couldn't am going, stay in my town? I, I was going to stay in your town, but you led into it. You said the seven-game win streak. So I am going to go with the Golden State Warriors. They have proved their absolute dominance. One of their hardest opponents yet, the Houston Rockets. They lose Kevin Durant in the third quarter of the game. They come out firing in the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, end of the third quarter, 72-72. Fourth quarter comes out, and they win the game with not just Boogie Cousins, but Kevin Durant out as well with no bench whatsoever. And Klay Thompson we see come back to his form. Steph Curry, the original Splash Brothers that we all remember back from 2015-2016. That's my team of the week, the Golden State Warriors. I'm glad you brought this up because this segues into our next topic. Beautiful.
0: Rockets, Warriors, round two. One versus the four. Golden State got off to a 2 nothing series lead. I understand you're without Kevin Durant, but you still have loaded stars on this team, and it's concerning because you are playing the Houston Rockets. I understand you're up 3-2 to two in the series, but you're going to Houston tonight on the road for a Game 6 without Boogie and without Kevin Durant, and in a series that now Draymond, a guy who doesn't have to score as much, Clay Thompson, a guy who doesn't have to score as much, now they need to score more. Clay Thompson becomes the, the number... Two option and Russo how do you think this Kevin Durant injury impacts the playoffs because he averages the most points per game out of any player in these NBA playoffs 34 points per game and now he's done for the rest of this series if they make it to the next round
1: he's out deep into the next round as well he might miss the whole rest of the playoffs mm-hmm. you don't know Yeah. Now, I'm going to be completely honest I think tonight they play right they play tonight, I believe. Yes, I believe the Houston Rockets are going to win at home. And I think that they're going to get out to a firing start, the Houston Rockets. And I believe because of the lack of depth in Steve Kerr's lineup right now, because I don't know what kind of rotation he could possibly be running, considering that starting five lineup was already playing the minute-wise, if they come out firing the Houston Rockets, Steve Kerr is just going to bring in the bench players. And he's going to say, you could have this one. We're going to meet you back at Oracle. where you have yet to win a game, and we're going to take it back there. I truly believe that's what's going to happen. Because I don't, I mean, Houston on their home floor, hard to beat. But Golden State on their home floor, also hard to beat. Another thing, too, momentum, knowing they don't have Kevin Durant. That form, again, where Steph Curry is the number one scoring option, along with Clay as well. Possibly, potentially, you got to remember, too, they're moving. Potentially their last game ever at Oracle Arena. It's a lot of emotion. lot of momentum in that game I believe it's going to be the Warriors in seven
0: well we're going to find out shortly if this game goes to seven or not because the game tips off at nine o'clock p.m. in about a minute from now in Houston Durant out for the rest of the Western semis um yeah I mean Houston poses a threat to Golden State this is a Houston team that I think they were a better team last year. They were clearly, oh, without a doubt, the one seed in the West. I think Houston should have won the series. Yep. Last year they were up 3 to 2 in the series, and then Golden State pulled the last two out of the hat from them. Chris Paul missed game 7. Do you think Chris Paul missing the last game of that series could have the same potential impact to Golden State this year m- with Kevin Durant missing
1: the last two games
0: of this series? No.
1: I agree, but I want to hear why. and I'll tell you why. It has nothing to do with what I expect from Golden State. It has to do with what I expect from Houston in a Game 7 potentially at Oracle Arena. We all know this, and I don't want to believe it because I like James Harden as a player. But he's yet to show up in the big moment. We've, we saw it in Game 5. Three shots. We did. Three shots in the fourth quarter after Kevin Durant went down for a total of five points. Chris Paul in this game was atrocious. 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 My bad. And they just have yet to really play a complete game where James yeah. Harden doesn't have to no, carry yeah. the team. Clint Capella was terrible, too. I mean, the, the, it just can't happen. Eric Gordon shot three for ten from the three-point line. It just, and the bench has just not been helping, besides Iman Shumpert, really. I
0: completely agree with you. Let's recap from where we left off last week. Golden State was up 2 nothing. Game three, Houston wins at home. They narrowly beat the Warriors in overtime by 5, 126-121. Durant puts up 46, but Harden had 41-9, and and then Eric Gordon on top of that. He's the real X-Factor in this game. He had 30 points. Mm-hmm. He was good. And those two guys, at times, I think on any given night, those are Houston's two best scorers at this point. Harden and Gordon. Paul, he's going to be an excellent defender. He's going to score, but he's also going to pass, and he's going to rebound for a little guy. Yeah, Gordon and Harden don't really play defense. They just shoot and they score, and yep. it's a shame. I give Harden a 100 on offense. I give Gordon about 90. I give Gordon a 10 on defense, and I give Harden maybe a 20.
1: I mean, it's it's that bad, Kyle. It's hard to grade them when you don't even see them attempting to play. Because, I mean, you would think in a playoff scenario where you have a potential win, At Oracle Arena, you just saw absolutely no defense.
0: Now, I I understand that the Clippers also took the Warriors to six. Mm -hmm. But do you think that Houston's offense, as ridiculous as it is with the isolation, I mean, it, it works for them, do you think this is the type of offense that Golden State defensively has trouble stopping? Because you look at it, they took Golden State to seven last year with Durant out. This series may very much well go the distance as well. And now Houston may have the upper hand,
1: lineup-wise. They definitely, and I'll I'll add on to your point, they definitely have the upper hand Mm -hmm. just because of the fact that P.J. Tucker, who's your best defender on this team, hands down. Over Capella? Over Capella, without a doubt, Mm -hmm. in my mind. Okay. Was guarding Kevin Durant this entire series. Now you get to put your best defender, and you don't have to worry about Kevin Durant, and you can put him on somebody else? Very true. I mean, that... uh, you shut down Clay. you shut down Steph, either one of those guys. If the, if you were able to defend those guys, at least one of them, you'll win this series easily. Oh, yeah. Because that's it. That's the team. Draymond, you can't count for more than 10 points. Andre Goddard is getting up there in age. Sean Livingston is... I don't know where Sean Iggy's Livingston is. Iggy's still
0: effective. Is. He had 16-5 and five the other night with three assists. He shot 6-9 and nine from the field, and he hit three out of his four three-point attempts.
1: But with the lack of depth in the bench, I don't know how many minutes he could play. This is what Golden State
0: calls, not their jet offense, but like their dynamite offense. Curry, Thompson, Green, Durant, and Iggy. But now with Durant out, I don't know who's going to start tonight for Golden State. Do we know who's going to start in place of Durant? My, it might be Livingston. I, my guess would be Livingston, because I don't know if you want to start McKinney or... Do you go big? Because realistically, I think Andrew Bogut needs yeah, to start this game. Yeah, I was going to say game. that. I was going to say I that. I think he does because you're guarding against Capella. I was going to say him at the five or potentially Kevin Looney. I think the reason why they think Draymond can handle Capella because that's Houston's only big. They're small, too. Yeah. Their four is P.J. Tucker, who's six eight on a good day. Mm-hmm. So they're also a small team. I feel like I'm crazy saying six eight is small, by the way. Well, um, yeah. Game four, Rockets win again. They win by four, 112-108. Durant and Curry each score 30-plus for the Warriors, but this time Harden, double-double, 39-10, double, and 10, but P.J. Tucker pitching in with 17-10 and 10, on top of Gordon having 20. Now, my thing is this. Do you think Tucker has emerged as the number three scoring option over Chris Paul?
1: Oh, without it. oh, over Chris Paul scoring option over Chris Paul, P. J. Tucker. Oh, so you're considering Eric Gordon the second scoring option? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think
0: Tucker's a better shooter. That's the only reason why. You, yeah. t- you take the shooting away,
1: it's Chris Paul. But yeah. Well, if you look at the last two games, I mean, Eric Gordon yeah, he's had twenty nineteen points, but if, if you look at his is what he's known for the three point line, he's been horrible. And mm-hmm. twenty three pointers he's made. Oh, yeah. Five of them in the last two games, so he's not been good from the perimeter. But, again, scoring, you got to get some points somehow, especially on a team where Chris Paul has kind of gone away in that scoring option. He's just hes just not been shooting well, and any time he does shoot, you just know it's not going in. Fair enough. But I think realistically
0: in this series, Houston, uh, games that they've shot the ball well, they win. I mean, same thing for Golden State, but when you shoot twenty-four percent behind the three point line like they did in game two, you're not going to win. Yeah. When Steph Curry goes four for fourteen, Klay Thompson one for six, not good. Yeah. You can't have Curry and Thompson combined go five for twenty behind the three point line. Yeah. Game five, Warriors bounce back at Oracle, win one oh four ninety nine, but Durant, playoff leader in scoring, gets hurt by a non contact injury. Those are always the worst. Because you know it's serious when it's a non-contact injury. Mm-hmm. He's out for the rest of the series. A left calf sprain, right, right calf, left. It was a right calf strain. Yeah, right calf. So Durant's going to be reevaluated on that next week. He's out for the rest of the series. But Clay yep. Thompson stepped up big. Him and Curry each had twenty-five plus. Mm-hmm. Clay back, uh, Clay back to his normal shooting form. And then defensively, Clay Thompson has been. Had his fair share of guarding Harden as well at times. Mm-hmm. I know they like when Curry guards Harden. They like that. Yeah. When Harden plays a little point guard as well, especially when Paul's out of the game, Harden's the point. Yeah. So, look, I think Harden had a nightmare fourth quarter in this game. He couldn't score. And, again, you're talking about Houston bench players that are mainly in there for defense. I, mean, I know Fareed is very athletic, but he didn't play much in this game bench players were Austin Rivers Gerald Green Iman Shumpert Iman Shumpert defense Nene at 34 years old 35 it's just not going to cut it and Austin
1: Rivers has been really bad too but and Houston's not a deep team they're no they're not they're not and Uh, especially I mean you saw I mean us personally we saw Kenneth Freed at the end of the regular season he was phenomenal you'd think he'd be starting over not starting but you think they'd be playing him over Nene Maybe the, with that veteran mentality, that's why he's probably getting the minutes. But, again, uh, especially because I watched Mike D'Antoni the other night. In the last five minutes of the game, he ran a starting lineup that consisted of four guards. How can You can't do that. You can't have small against small. Get your biggest guys out there to try and defend. I get that Duran is out, so all the guys are going to be on the perimeter. That's where Draymond was. That's where Steph was. That's where Clay was. But you can't have four guards out there and especially four guards that aren't your best shooters. And James Harden, you said he didn't shoot the ball well in the fourth quarter. He didn't shoot the ball at all in the fourth quarter, three times in the fourth quarter, and made two of those field goals. It just it cannot, I don't know. What, to his standards, that's not well still. I don't, I don't know what it is. He, he didn't even attempt to shoot the ball. Golden, it's not even Golden like he shot knew They
0: had to win a different way, yep. and they decided to finally play defense. On guys like Harden and whatnot. Golden State has the ability to play defense. I feel like Houston does not. And I think that's part of the problem. So let's get to Portland. This is fun. The Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets against the Portland Trailblazers. And this series was fantastic. Because when we left here last Friday night, game three happened. And our CW Post buddy who will be calling in in just a few moments, Travis the Mers, called a quadruple overtime game out in Portland at home, a game that the Blazers won 140-137. This was the second longest playoff game in NBA history. Nikola Jokic played 64 minutes in this game for Denver. Jamal Murray played 55. McCollum had 60 minutes for the Blazers. Man, let me tell you something. I'm going to be quite honest with you. McCollum was the engine that drove this game. And once Gary Harris fouled out, nobody was able to guard Rodney Hood. They brought Hood in an overtime, and Hood Hood is the X factor of this team. Yeah. No, he is. Hood is the reason
1: why they're still alive in the series. He is. He had 25 points off the bench. Last night, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now, we got
0: to... Go back to that quadruple overtime game. Mo yep. Harkless mm-hmm. was solid, 15 and 10. He's an excellent defensive player. Al Farouk Aminu, he's not gonna fill up the stat sheet, but he gets rebounds and he plays D. De- he plays defense, and that's key. And really the addition of Ennis Cantor, look, nobody knew Nurkic was gonna go down, but Portland had signed Ennis Cantor well before the Nurkic injury happened. And Cantor, a guy who has started a lot in this league.
1: He, he plays well. He's an excellent scorer. He's not a good, he's not a he's good not, defender. He's not a good defender. But he's fantastic but he as a scorer. he makes up option. for
0: it because he can rebound and he's big. He just can't play interior D in the post. He mm-hmm. can't really play any D at all, but he's big. That's how he makes up for it, and he gets boards. Yeah. But other than that, that was game three. Fantastic basketball game. Second longest NBA playoff game ever. Game four, Denver ties it 2-2. And Denver, Jokic, they really stole one from Portland in this game. They won by two. Jokic had a triple-double. Jokic is the second-leading assist-getter in
1: these entire NBA playoffs.
0: Mm -hmm. Talk about the presence of Jokic for a minute.
1: I mean, I can't – when I think of Jokic and – I try to think of a comparison. He lumbers around the court like a Shaquille O'Neal, but he's not viciously dunking on people. He's a guy who's going to shoot from the perimeter. He's going to make his shots consistently. He can shoot from more than 15 feet out, consistent from the free throw line, excellent defense in the interior, and he guard on the perimeter too. He's just, he's an all-around stud, and to have a triple-double in his first playoff appearance, well, obviously his first series, but... it. In his first playoff appearance, he's been fantastic.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) He has. I mean, you look at this
0: guy, you're right. He doesn't miss free throws. And for a guy who's over 7 feet tall, that's kind of uncommon. In this game, you put Portland's starting 5 against Denver's starting 5. Denver's starting 5 is better. Jokic, Millsap, as a team, Harris and Murray. Mm Mm-hmm. As we're Portland, you have Lillard and McCollum, who, let's face it, they're two of the three best players in the series. Yeah, the, the third best is Jokic. Mm-hmm. But then after that, Aminu and Harkless, both defensive guys that don't score many points, yeah. that will hit an occasional outside perimeter shot for you. And Cantor, who they just brought in. Yeah, Clearly, Portland rides behind Lillard and McCollum, and Denver rides on their interior the combination of Millsap and Jokic. Millsap and Jokic each had 21 points in Game 4 to tie this series up. Game 5, Denver goes back home. Pepsi Center destroys Portland. 124-98. to 98. Millsap and Jokic score identical numbers again. 25 points each. Uh, it was a tough game to watch. Jokic, 25 points, 19 Rebounds. Six assists, Kyle Russo. Yep. Six. What do you think about that? For a big man. That's incredible. Second in the playoffs with nine assists per game. But I will give them this. Jamal Murray has been lights on in this series in the whole playoffs. I mean, Jamal Murray he, op- on. he operates that offense. I and mean, you can on. make the argument that Jokic does as well, but I think, realistically, skill-wise, Murray is the second-best player on that team.
1: Well, yeah, you know everything runs to the point. Yeah, I mean, it's just spreading the floor, and it allows Jokic, as a guy who's a big man, to take those perimeter shots.
0: Murray, he's going to give you around 20-10 and a game at this point. That's how good of a player he is at such a young age out of Kentucky. You look at the way he's been able to impact this series... And he is not an easy matchup for Damian Lillard. Him stepping up is the reason why Lillard has been having trouble. Because if you look at this game five, Lillard had 22 points, but he only shot 9 of 21 from the field. Mm -hmm. But had 12. Uh, I'm sorry, but when your second leading scorer in a game is Zach Collins, love Zach Collins. Great talent. And he's a future starter for this team. Yep. 14 points for Collins. I mean, he was great off the bench, but you need more production. Him and Rodney Hood each had 14 points off the bench. Mm -hmm. Those guys can't outscore C.J. McCollum, a
1: guy who's playing more minutes than them. Yep. It's unacceptable. Yep. Well, it's not just them, too, but you look at this entire starting lineup in this game. I mean, Mo Harkless didn't take that many shots. He's not really a shooter. Cantor... For a guy who's usually shooting from within five feet of the hoop, is not good either. As well as Aminu, who we brought up is not a good shooter yet, took eight shots and made one. One thing I forgot to bring up,
0: if Portland, I think Seth Curry is another reason why that bench has been able to gel well together. I think the bench advantage goes to Portland. Mm -hmm. Because so far in this series, I give Denver starters a slim edge. Yeah, But I think Portland clearly has the better bench right now because they only play four guys. Evan Turner plays defense, locks down one of your best backcourt players.
1: They have more consistent shooting off the bench.
0: Hood, Collins, and Curry, and then even Myers Leonard, who played in Game 5, which I think he should be playing more this series. But the, the reason why he's not is because, again, like Cantor, he's not good at defense. But I would prefer Leonard defending... I mean, I would prefer Zach Collins defending Jokic over the other two, Leonard and.
1: Uh, well, who do they have matched up against? Jokic, Jokic now. Cantor. They have. Let's not see that. Can't. It's Cantor. Can't happen. Collins. Occasionally, it's a Minu. I love Canter, but the one thing when he was wearing a Knicks uniform and even in OKC, yeah, he could he could give you 15 and 10 every night, but he can't play defense. So this leads us to last
0: night. Game six, elimination game. For all the marbles, Portland keeps their season alive, thanks to Damian Lillard and company. Lillard and McCollum, they really ride on this team because the other three starters, they're going to, like, Cantor will have his nights, but Aminu and Harkless, you're lucky you get 20 combined points out of them. You're lucky you get 10 combined points out of them. Well, and in this game combined, they had
1: nine. Yeah, that's what I'm...
0: Yeah. Am- they're just not Aminu, Aminu's scoring is either put-back plays off of offensive rebounds yep. or the or the corner three. Yep. That's it. That's his game. Mo Harkless, an occasional dunk. An occasional drive. Mm-hmm. An occasional corner three.
1: Put-back. Exactly. Yeah. They crash the boards. They're great. They're good players. No, the defense is why they're in the starting lineup. Exactly. Fantastic, but. You play good
0: defense, you get playing time. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Blazers were down in this game. They, they weren't very good in the first quarter, but all of a sudden the bench, it turned things around. You're looking for a big three right now, and Rodney Hood is emerging as the third guy. That sixth man off the bench. That sixth man off the bench is Rodney Hood. 25 points, 8 of 12 from the field three for four from downtown, and his plus-minus was the best on the team. Plus-21. Plus-21, and then the bench did better than the starters. Yeah, on the plus-minus. My favorite Portland lineup is McCollum, Hood, Curry, Collins, and Turner. That's my favorite Portland lineup. I love their bench when McCollum stays on. Because if you notice, in this series, maybe there's been, like, The exception of garbage time, either Lillard or McCollum is always on the floor. One of them is always on the floor. They cannot ill afford to have one of those guys sit.
2: Yeah. Well, you saw last night.
1: I mean, McCollum played 42 minutes. That's more than Damian Lillard by six minutes. But, I mean, they just, like you said, Tom. Lights out, man. These are one of the best backcourt shooting duos in the entire NBA. I mean, and they gave them the best opportunity to win. And you saw last night as they combined for 62 points. 45% from
0: downtown. Rodney Hood, the big game with 25 points. This will set up Game 7 in Denver on Sunday. Lillard and McCollum combined in Game 6 for 62 total points. And moving forward, Game 7 will be back in Denver on Sunday night. There will be a couple of Game 7s. First, got Toronto and Philly. There could be a third if Houston finds a way to beat Golden State at home without Durant and Cousins. But at this time, speaking of Portland... We have a caller here on the line. Caller, please state your name and where you are from.
3: What's up? This is Travis in Portland.
0: Travis Demers joining us. Travis, how's it going?
3: Great. How are you doing?
0: Good. Thank you very much for calling into our show. So for those of you folks that don't know, Travis Demers joining us now on Review and Preview. Travis broadcasted his first game back in September 2000 right here on the LIU post-campus. Well, It was known as CW Post back then, and now he is the fill-in radio play-by-play announcer for the Portland Trailblazers Radio Network. Travis, again, thanks for joining us here tonight. Really pleasure to have you here joining us on the show. Happy to do it. Thanks for the time. So as a Post alumnus who worked right here at WCWP, obviously you transitioned out to Portland. What's it like to work out west with the Portland Trailblazers?
3: You know, this opportunity working in the NBA, I mean, any anybody who's ever wanted to get into this business, anybody who ever, you know, does a podcast or went to school for radio or, you know, pretended do play-by-play in their driveway, you know, the, the ultimate dream is to do professional sports. So for me to have an opportunity to, to call NBA games and now get to call playoff games, and now I get to call a game seven, and to call a four overtime game, I uh, get to do LeBron James, you know, Laker debut here in Portland. It's been uh, it's been everything that I've I've ever wanted to do my entire life.
1: That
0: is a, a great journey, Travis, and well deserved. Of course, I actually didn't know you called the LeBron debut game. That's crazy.
3: <laughs> yeah, season opener was uh, was in Portland. His first game was at, was at the Laker was in at the Moda Center, and uh, it was it was an awesome game. And uh, you got to see LeBron for the first time in a Laker uniform.
0: That's that's an awesome story, I'm sure. But do you have any favorite players to work with? On Portland, like, do I I know you're close probably with some of the players? Do you have any like uh, any favorite guys to just talk to and get insight from about the game?
3: Yeah, you know, there's not a ton of time where we talk to the players. We're separated on the plane, we're separated on the bus, things like that. But really, the the one guy who you know who goes out of his way to talk to me is Myers Leonard. I know he doesn't get a ton of playing time, but he's been around for seven years, him and Dame, or Damian Lillard and the longest tenure trailblazers, and Myers is just one of those guys that, you know, he, he's just a good dude, and he likes to talk to people, so it, you know, I've, I, I have conversations with Myers, he's, he's super cool, um, Jake Lehman is, is a quiet guy, like, he, but he's he's always pretty cool, but the rest of the guys, and I, I don't want to say that they're, you know, on, on a different level, but, you know, I'm not going to have a conversation with Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum anytime soon, you know, they kinda
0: of just do their thing. And that's cool. That's that's them. But uh Myers Leonard has just been pretty cool. Oh, um this past year, you brought up Myers Leonard actually, and he actually I know he doesn't get many minutes, but I remember Damian Lillard's post game interview, he actually accredited him to being a factor on the bench, like calling out plays. You could see him I'm sure you see him on live T V. Like <laughs> he almost got in trouble that one time, the ref kind of cult uh told him man you got to sit back down on the bench (laughs) he's been there for a long time for sure and a fun player to watch uh and Jake as well Jake uh, a player out of Maryland a lot of people were calling for him to get more minutes earlier on in the season and then he got them when Harkless was out but what exactly does Mo Harkless bring to the table defensively because this series I mean I know he racks up a lot of fouls but I feel like he's been pretty good defensively for Portland.
3: So he, he was really good in the series against Oklahoma City. I think the, the, Around here, he's a, he's a big hot-button issue because you look at the numbers, and they're just not there. I mean, he shot like 24% from three this season. His offensive numbers weren't there. And it, it took him a, a long time to heal from this surgery that he had, not this past March, but March of 2018. And that's when Jake Lehman was getting starters minutes, and he was starting. Uh, and then really after the All Star break, he played really well. Final twenty five games of the season, he was terrific. And then in Game Two of this series, he rolled his ankle, and he hasn't been the same guy since. And he is he has not played well in this series at all. He only played sixteen minutes last night. It's one of the reasons why we saw a lot more Rodney Hood. But uh, uh, defensively t- together, Maurice Harkless and Alfredo Camino, um, they're they're a really good small lineup at the three and four. Um, they're both long arm defenders who don't let guys get by them they can defend multiple positions the problem is lately neither one of them has really given me much offensively and, and since Harkless got hurt in game two of this series they just hadn't done a whole lot
0: yeah exactly and me and my co-host Kyle Russo who's here we were talking right before your call I don't know if you heard us but Harkless and Aminu I mean guys that are in there mainly for defense I mean we feel like that's why they get starters as minutes they're great defensively and Kyle, you know, you've seen this in Portland. They're a very good defensive
1: team. Do you have any uh, questions for Travis here? Yeah, Travis, just one question for you, man. Obviously, nobody could have predicted the Joseph Nurkic injury. But just talk about the acquisition and the addition of Enos Kanter to this starting lineup, whether offensively, defensively, or just an overall locker room guy that everybody gets along with, it seems to be.
3: Yeah, you guys know Kanter, obviously, from his time with the Knicks. He's- He's a tough dude and uh, he he got kind of a raw deal there. Obviously the Knicks were were trying to tank and work you know, work him out of the starting lineup. But he wasn't playing at all. So when they bought him out, uh, the Blazers picked him up as insurance. You know, he came in and he, you know, he, he had a you know, a wink wink deal with the with the Blazers that if he was gonna sign here, he was gonna get the backup minutes. And he was. Nurk was playing twenty eight minutes a game, uh, Cantor was playing twenty minutes a game and, and as a backup center, Cantor was probably the, the best backup center in the league. And then Nurkic goes out, breaks his leg, and just a, a gruesome injury that, you know, kind of left everybody around here broken because he was having such a great year. Kanter comes in and averages 17-11 and 11 in the last 10 games of the year or so. And then he comes out and puts up 20-10 and 10 in the first game of the, the series against Oklahoma City, and he was playing really good defense. Um, and that, that was kind of the knock on Kanter on is that, well, he can't play defense. And a couple of years ago, um, you know, uh, Billy Donovan – you, know, you could read his lips that we can't play Cantor when it was the playoffs. He was—he had that reputation of a guy who couldn't play in the postseason. Well, he he figured it out, whatever it was. And he was – if you're going to lose a guy like Nurkic, Cantor really was the perfect guy to fill in because he was – he does a lot of the same things. He's good off the left block. He's a great offensive rebounder. Uh, he can run the pick and roll. Um, all the things that Nurk does, and not quite in the same way. He has plenty of the same skill set, but he can do a lot of the same things. So he can just fit right in and they didn't have to change their offense much with Cantor in the game. So when he's when he's played, when he's been healthy, he's obviously had the, the shoulder injury throughout this series that he's been, you know, toughing through. He's really been just kind of an uplifting guy for the entire team. Because if he's out there playing with a separated shoulder like he has been this entire series and playing that well, I think other guys are going to get behind it.
0: And Travis, yeah, for Cantor to separate it even more. Now you mentioned guys like Cantor and Rodney Hood. Obviously, Dame and CJ, they control the tempo. They carry the load night in and night out. But what's been the key to Portland's playoff success thus far? I know you mentioned Hood and Cantor, but has there been anything else specifically so far, you know, in that series against OKC and how they've managed to get this series to game seven? You
3: know, with, with this one, uh, the, the first four games of the series were tight. You know, they were all single position games. I think anytime you, you come out of a four overtime game, uh, you and you win, and then you expect to have that momentum, but they lost the next game. Uh, they lost that game. They scored 14 points in the third quarter. They couldn't hit free throws down the stretch, so you missed an opportunity to go up 3-1 uh, and then get absolutely destroyed in game five. I mean, they looked lethargic. They were tired. It was it was bad. Last night, Terry Stodd changed the lineup up a little bit, and instead of playing, you know, Harkless and a big-time minutes, like we talked about, Zach Collins and Uh, And Rodney Hood played big minutes. Collins played 29 minutes. Hood played 32. And the mismatch that they have with Hood on Jamal Murray, Murray can't defend him. So he was getting open look after open look, driving to the paint, backing him down, and continuing to get all these looks. He scored 25 last night. And the the difference between having Hood on the floor and having Harkless on the floor is that with, with Hood, yeah, Harkless is a better defender, but defenses have to respect Hood a little bit more. So now you can't double team Damian Lillard like they had done for most of the series. So it opens him up for more looks. He had 17 in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter. Uh, CJ McCollum got hot in the fourth quarter. So Rodney Hood being able to hit shots opened things up for everybody else and just made the offense flow a lot better. So tomorrow in game seven, I'd expect to see more of the same.
0: Those are all great points you brought up there, Travis. Now, I know you talked about Collins as a big coming in off the bench and scoring big points, but transitioning to the next question, Jokic obviously. He's a tough matchup for anybody, you know. Canther has had had trouble. Leonard, I know he's been in there, sprinkled in infrequently. He's had some trouble as well. He's not known for his defense, really. But Zach Collins, a guy who I feel like he's trying to emerge into that role. What would you say is the biggest challenge about facing Denver? Is it guarding that paint against Nikola? Yeah,
3: it is. It's not just Jokic I mean Jokic is terrific. I mean, guy puts up a triple double almost every night and he makes it look so effortless. I mean, you got this chubby dude out there who looks like he's the least athletic guy on the floor, and he's putting up ridiculous numbers. And, and you know, he had 19 rebounds in Game 5. Uh, what, what they did in, in Game 5, and it didn't really work out too well, and one of the reasons why, so they, they put out Camino on Jokic, and that was probably the best defensive matchup. But the problem with that is now you don't have anybody to defend Paul Millsap. And he had five his first six shots, and he puts up 15 points in the first half. And Denver's up by 18 at at halftime. Before you know it, so it's not just the fact that you have Jokic down low. You also have Paul Millsap who can do a number of different things. And then Jamal Murray has been terrific in this series. They have incredibly good defensive backcourt. After Game Three against San Antonio, they changed up the starting lineup and they they benched Will Barton and put Torrey Craig out there uh, for defensive reasons, and it's paid off. You know, he has been terrific defensively in this series on Lillard. The problem with Denver is that they're they're so deep, and they have a lot Very of guys true. who can do a number of different things. You know, with, with, Jamal Murray's not a great defender, so they take him off of Lillard and they put him on Maurice Sorklis. Well, you can hide him there, but not when Rodney Hood's in the game. But with Gary Harris, Torrey um, Craig, even Malik Beasley in the backcourt, that is that is a really good defensive backcourt. There are just a lot of guys that can do a bunch of things really well.
0: Yeah, and that seems like it's been a good recipe of success for them so far now switching gears here travis last couple questions before we let you go now this past year you got called up to fill in as the play-by-play announcer for rip city radio as a kid coming from post growing up in westchester describe to us what went through your head when you found out that this is actually going to happen like i'm right now i'm the voice of the portland trailblazers
3: it's crazy. I mean, over, over the summer, so last year I did one preseason game and I kind of got a taste of it. I'm like, alright, I really want to do this. And over the summer, um, Brian Wheeler, the, the regular player I play now, has having some health problems and they're talking to me in July saying, okay, we may or may not need you so be ready to go to Vancouver for the preseason game in September against the Raptors. Thinking, Okay, maybe it's going to happen. I finally got the official word like five days before that game. And uh, it's a preseason game. And then eventually they, they tell me they need to do the entire preseason and some of the regular season until he's ready to go. And then it turned into the road games for the rest of the season. And, its I mean, it, I can't explain it. I mean, it's its literally like a dream come true to, to be able to to call a game with 20,000 fans behind you in an, in an NBA setting. And instead of doing prep for, you know, high school games or University of Portland games or uh, – you know, I do some minor league baseball stuff out here. Instead of you know having to read and learn about these guys, I'm prepping for Damian Lillard and LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo and you know these superstars in the NBA. And just even doing my prep work, I'm just thinking to myself, this is I never thought I was actually going to get this opportunity. It's been unbelievable.
0: And we're very proud of you, Travis, for accomplishing that. Now, last two questions here. You also got the chance to call the quadruple overtime game last Friday night, a week ago tonight. it was the second longest NBA playoff game ever, I believe. Now, take us through those moments at the Moda, and what was it like to be a part of history?
3: You know, part of it, I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be a big call here coming somewhere, and I don't want to screw it up. This is going to be, you know, something that goes down, people are going to listen to it for the next 20, 30 years, and I don't want to screw it up. And every time someone took a two-possession lead in one of the overtimes, the other team came right back. The Blazers were down by four with, like, 30 seconds left in the third overtime. Dame got a straight-line drive. Then they get a turnover. It gets another straight-line drive. They tie it. We go to a fourth overtime. and It, just, it felt like it was never going to end, but in the best way, because it was such an exciting game that you, know, you, you don't want it to end because you know this night is probably never going to happen again. There were, there were so many emotions in that game, so many big plays, so many big shots. I, I'll i never experience anything like that again.
0: And finally, now Portland, what would it mean for this franchise to get back to the Western Conference Finals? It's been a while. It's been, it's been a decade or two now, right? I think it's been over two decades.
3: 19 years. 19 years. Yeah. I was still a pup last time that uh, the Blazers went to the Conference Finals. And in that game, I don't know if you guys remember this, but 2000 Western Conference Finals, Blazers, Lakers, in L. A. at Staples Center, Blazers have an 18-point fourth-quarter lead, and they blow it. And the, the the famous alley-oop dunk from Kobe to Shaq uh, in the, their first run to their, their their run to their first championship was in Game Seven to get them over the top to come back from down 18. And people in Portland will never forget that because they got knocked out in the first round the following year by the Blazers. They didn't win a playoff series of any kind for 14 years. So to to have this run. This year, with the injury to Yusef Nurkic, when everybody thought all hope was lost, to have an opportunity to get back to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in two decades. And if you play Houston, you get home court advantage. If you play Golden State, right. who yeah. knows what's going to happen with Kevin Durant. So I think people are, are really excited, but at the same time, you got to get through Game Seven first, first. And uh, on the road in Denver, where they're 34-7, and seven, that's going to be hard to do.
0: You like Portland's odds? <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to go on the air and call a game
3: uh, <laughs> for a yes. So I'll, I'll say I like Portland's odds. I just think it's, it's going to be a close game. Yeah. Whoever makes the fewest mistakes is going to end up winning.
0: Well, Travis, we'll be pulling for them and we'll be pulling for you as well. Thank you very much for calling into our show tonight. I appreciate it, guys, anytime. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good night, Travis. You too. That was Travis Demers, the play-by-play fill-in radio announcer for the Portland Trailblazers radio network here on Review and Preview. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about the Eastern Conference playoffs, and then last few minutes of the show, we'll preview the NBA Draft Lottery. You're listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. One, two, three, uh, my baby! Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta.
1: Join alongside Kyle Russo. Kyle, what a call by Travis. That, from a production standpoint, that was our cleanest call ever. From a call standpoint, that was one of the greatest things that I've ever could have experienced, a true professional, a true professional working in such an atmosphere right now or a potential where he could call a Western Conference Finals coming straight from this college, absolutely incredible. And, you know, that it's, it's great
0: as... It I'm speechless right now. He's, he sat right here where I'm sitting over 15 years ago. It's I mean, crazy. It's just insane where things can take you. And he's done a fantastic job working his way up, and we wish him nothing but the best. And we'll be listening to him on the air Sunday. Without a doubt. So let's get to the Eastern Conference playoffs. The Milwaukee Bucks defeat the Boston Celtics in five games. After Boston took game one, let's just face it, it was all Milwaukee. Giannis dominated this series. Game three and game four, the Bucks won very convincingly. Giannis had 30-plus points in each of those games. And the big highlight factors off the bench for Milwaukee, George Hill had 21 points in game three. That was really a turning point for me in this series because if you think about it, uh, Kyrie Irving started to struggle, and he was getting outplayed by George Hill. You know, Bledsoe did good defense, and now you're thinking, this is all without Malcolm Brogdon. They have guys in there that are playing excellent defense, guarding Kyrie Irving. Whether it's Bledsoe, whether it's George Hill. I mean, those are the two guys that were primarily on him. And then you bring in a guy, a former trailblazer, like Pat Connaughton off the bench, who is your second-leading rebounder in the playoffs. Only behind Giannis. Yes, folks, I said that right. Pat Connaughton is the second-leading rebounder for the Bucks in these playoffs. 6'4 kid out of Notre Dame. And why? I had a fun story. Giannis and Pat are actually very good friends. Giannis and Pat have a lot in common, a lot more than you would think. They're the first ones in the gym. They're the last ones out. Mike Budenholzer actually said they got in trouble for staying in the gym too long. There was a mandatory break time that they were not supposed to be working out in the gym. Pat is like, can I just shoot up a few shots? He's like, no. And then Giannis was flabbergasted when Pat was dunking in the gym. A guy, 6'4", 6'5", on a good day. Right. Give me some Pat Connaughton nine points, ten rebounds in game four. Fantastic, and I'm proud. I'm saying this. He was a very crucial part of that series, and I think he's going to be a crucial part of Milwaukee's run if they're going to get to the finals.
1: Oh, without a doubt, him,
0: Hill, and Ilyasova three best players off the bench right now.
1: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the the starters go to the bench, and I mean, it's just like uh, at least from an offensive standpoint, nothing. Nothing stops. It's consistent flow, whether it's offense and defense, too, like we were saying. Yeah. Whether it's Ilyasova, whether it's—I know Brogdon started the game the other night. Did he come off the bench? Did he start? I believe Brogdon he. came off the bench. So Brogdon, the two-way player that he is, bring his defense in offensive game. And George Hill. George Hill has been fantastic. Absolutely resurrected his career. Coming off a year with Cleveland, which was horrible. And then getting waived right. and now signing with this Milwaukee Bucks team and playing a crucial role in their success. Because without these numbers that he's putting up, yes, they might win the game, but not by the point spread that they're winning by. Not Of by course the margin. not,
0: no. And this has been a really awkward series. Tatum did not play well. Boston tried to mix and match. No Marcus Smart. Uh, Gordon Hayward did not have a good series, and he he was part of the dysfunction of Boston rotationally-wise all year. And it's not really his fault. It's just the injury coming back from that horrific injury. But I'm going to say this. Kyrie was the real dud in this series. 6-21 of from the field in an elimination game? Come on, man. I mean, they tried starting Aaron Baines. They got that desperate. I mean, not to say that Baines is a bad player. He's a good role player, and he gets rebounds. He plays defense, the occasional putback. He could shoot, too. Mm -hmm. But minus 22? Kyrie minus 25? Worst plus minus on the team in that game? That's a problem.
1: Yep. And obviously, listen, the blame goes completely to Kyrie, and I'm not on that bandwagon. Obviously, a major proportion of the blame is on him, considering he's the leader. This is what he wanted. It has to go towards him in somewhat. But I'm going to throw it another way. For me personally, and I brought this up, I believe, on last week's show, this goes, in my opinion, this goes to Brad Stevens, and this goes all the way back to the beginning of the season. After being five minutes away from going to the championship game, which would have been against the Golden State Warriors, with all those rooks that you had on your team and young bloods in your team, you had Marcus Smart, you had Scary Terry, you had Jason Tatum carrying the team, posterizing LeBron James, and you had these other guys. And I'm telling you, it messes with the mentality of these players when Gordon Hayward, when he wasn't even ready to come back, He wasn't—I think we could agree. I don't don't know if we'll agree on this point, but on this point that I'm going to bring up, I think we could agree that Gordon Hayward might have been coming back a little too soon, considering what the injury was. Can we agree on that? Yeah, we could agree on that. So, for me personally, I know the stardom that he has. I know the money that they are paying him. But you can't be taking away those minutes from these guys. You have to slowly work Gordon Hayward back up through the bench— not the six man, maybe the seven. But man. what do you expect? I didn't expect him to start. I his think head like...
0: coach was his coach in college, Danny Ainge. But that doesn't make it. Loves Gordon. You, but signed... that doesn't Go- make it right, well, hold though. Hold on, hold on. That doesn't make it right. You see my point of view on this. You signed him to that to that large of a contract. Brought him in as a free agent to sit on the bench.
1: The injury can't be an excuse. Well, as gruesome as that was, and on on top of the fact that they raced him back. For no reason, in my opinion, because considering what that Boston team did. And you also got to remember, also, without Gordon Hayward, also without Kyrie Irving in that series against Cleveland. And they forced the game seven, five minutes away from a championship game with all these young guys. But Hayward was not the biggest problem in this playoffs. It was clearly not in the playoffs, Kyrie Irving. Not in the playoffs. Clearly Ky- Kyrie Irving. But uh, the coaching standpoint, I believe it, it messed with a lot of players' head and didn't give them the right amount of minutes. The Bucks advanced to their first conference finals since 2001.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: An anonymous teammate, quote-unquote, states he's Kyrie.
1: Hard to play with. It's all about him. I, I think I know who that is. I can imagine who that Gordon is. Gordon Hayward? No. Uh, I think it might. Well, it depends on how you take it. Do you take it as a negative uh, Because I took it as a negative if it's from a negative, it could be. I'm thinking Terry Rozier. If it's negative, especially be considering the way he carried at the point guard position, and he chose to stay with this team. You're right. It could be somebody could in the backcourt. It could be Marcus Smart too. No, because Marcus Smart defended him last night after they lost. Uh, I'm thinking it's I, I, be I'm Terry. just thinking,
0: but you're saying it might not be if it's a negative way Terry,
1: but a positive way
0: it could be. I mean, I don't know.
1: I th- at that point, yes, if it's Well, we know it's Aaron not Harry. Al Horford. It's not him.
0: We know it's not Aaron Baines. Maybe Marcus Morris, maybe? I mean, he seems... That's a wild card option as well. Yeah. Now, where does Kyrie go next? The Nets actually open up as favorites for Kyrie Irving. The
1: Nets? I thought it was the think Now the Knicks? it's Brooklyn. And now it's Brooklyn. It is Brooklyn. I don't... Which I don't... makes no sense, because they Cause have they their, their point guard. They got two. Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie also. But uh, I, for a Brooklyn team... And I love Kyrie Irving, but that's with that mentality and his lack of leadership. Yeah. If he if he goes into that Brooklyn situation, he'll be put in an even worse situation than he was in Boston. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which would absolutely kill him as a player, I think. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I'm just glad Boston's out cuz Milwaukee has deserved this all year, the one seed advancing. The other series in the East though, Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors facing Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers this game is at game 7 game 1 let's look at Kawhi Leonard's numbers as Toronto progressed throughout the series so good game 1 45 game 2 35 game 3 33 game 4 he had 39 and 14 rebounds uh, game 4 in the, in the game 5 in the series uh, Toronto won by a blowout it was the largest playoff one in their history. And Embiid had a very quiet night. They held him to 11 points. Apparently he was having, like, uh, stomach virus or stomach issues, indig- yeah. indigestion or something. Yeah. Something wrong with that. Uh, look, anxiety could have been part of it as well. The playoffs. And the 76ers fighting for their lives in Game 6. After a game where they allowed six Raptors to score double figures. Unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pull it off, 112-101 win. Embiid just scored 17, but it was really Butler and Simmons that picked up the slack. It was great to see. Yeah. Uh, if you're a Philly fan, at least. Post, oh, yeah, without a doubt. The post-game interviews, Butler and Embiid looked like, you know, kind of looked like, I don't want to say like an amateur type of vibe, but they didn't really seem like they wanted to be there for too long.
1: Lot of the listen, no. Especially Did they this... start Boban
0: last night over Redick? No, no. Because I could have sworn Boban, Boban play came in early. I feel like, but I know Redick played. He played about thirty, thirty-one minutes in that game. Uh, he didn't score very much, but and Tobias Harris
1: finally scoring over fifteen points in a game this series. Maybe it's because Embiid might overdue. have had foul trouble early. Maybe if you saw that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. Ben Simmons. He needs to learn how to shoot the basketball. Because if we're sitting here today and the Philadelphia 76ers are out, the point of blame gets 100% thrown at Ben Simmons. But nobody else. It would be his fault, in my opinion. Up until this game, 102 points off 104 shot attempts. Disgusting. Now, everybody wants to say, If he develops a shot. That's the quote, right? If he develops a shot. Yeah, they're saying, he's the the
0: next LeBron James if he does that. It's been three years,
1: ladies and gentlemen. And he has not learned any aspect of that part of his game. If anything, he's regressed because now we see in these playoff games, he doesn't even attempt to shoot the ball from beyond 10 feet, 15 feet out. Now, there's been a big debate going around what piece is more valuable. You look at the lack of ability in shooting-wise – And Ben Simmons. But you look at Joel Embiid and you say, well, injury-prone guy. Oh, I mean, throughout this series, he's had multiple different—it's been sickness, it's been knee injury, it's been whatever it is. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, is this this a team, even if they do win Game 7, do they stand a chance against Milwaukee? No. I don't think they do. No. They were a team that was
0: slapped together late to compete against the top dogs in the East because they were around the 5-6 spot, and then they emerged up. Yep. They emerged up to the 3. That's Trading exactly what Harris. they did. Yeah. The trade for Tobias Harris, it worked. Acquiring Mike Scott, Boban Marjanovic. Yep. Mike Scott's been a good player for them. He's there. I think, in my opinion, best bench player, Mike Scott. He had like a plus 21, I believe. But it's not, was. again, it's not a deep bench. No. The only guys they're playing consistent minutes off the bench in these playoffs are Mike Scott and James Ennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boban and McConnell will get the scraps. Uh, Amir Johnson doesn't play much. Greg Monroe, Jonathan Simmons, those guys don't play much. But the key factor for me in this series has been Pascal Siakam. He's been fantastic. He's been shooting the ball around 50% in the series, 45 50%. I mean, it's great to see. This guy might be the next star for the Toronto Raptors. He may be that number 2 guy mm-hmm. after Kawhi Leonard if he opts to stay, yep. which I think he might have found the home up there because Toronto, it's kind of away from the media. They're good every year. I mean, this is the part They really scenario. don't it's quiet. get attention. It's quiet. It's they just... don't get attention, I feel nah. like, because they're a Canadian team. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why. I mean, Kawhi Leonard
1: is a top-five player. He's always going to get attention. I think he's top three, but yeah. I know you probably have Giannis in your top three. I don't. I, I don't personally, but
0: yeah, yeah. Right now, right now, Giannis Durant and Harden top three. Oh, from yeah, playoff uh, playoff aspect, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just something that Kawhi needs to be good under pressure in this game seven. This really make makes it or breaks it for him. I think. I think
1: they win this game, and with, oh yeah, with At potential home, ease. I up think north, it's. I don't think it's going to be any difficulty, in my opinion. But on that note, we are going to step aside for
0: a final break of the evening. When we come back, we will talk about the NBA Draft Lottery. You're listening to Review and Preview here on org. And welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo. Ten minutes left. Great show so far tonight. We talked a lot of baseball. We had Travis call in from the Portland Trailblazers, analyze the NBA playoffs, and we'll wrap it up with some NBA draft lottery preview and predictions. Where will the Knicks end up in four days from now on Tuesday, May 14th? Well, it's to be determined. We know they'll be somewhere within the top four. So will they get Zion? Will they get R.J. Barrett? Ja Morant?
1: Cam Reddish? That's really the question at hand here. This is going to be the most fun offseason and draft I think we've seen in a long time. Because this is really, this is is life-changing. Nope. But you don't think so? No, because Durant going hurt
0: just gave the Knicks chances away from getting him. Because he's going to have a bad ending. He's going to have a bad ending to the playoffs. And then, realistically, the Knicks need a point guard. If you drafted Knox and add Durant in addition to, I don't know, Mitchell Robinson, you got Dennis Smith. I mean you can make the argument too they they're
1: stacked at point guard and want to go with Smith or Listen Tom if if Durant is available and he wants to come play in the garden I mean they'll move mountains for this man Quick
0: update this just in this very minute the Blazers and Nuggets the scuffle with uh Seth Curry and I think it was uh Barton or Craig or somebody yeah. in Denver uh, last night uh both teams escape punishment the NBA will not issue any fines or su- or suspensions for the fourth quarter skirmish. All right. In last night's game 6. Okay, that's good. It's the playoffs. You want to see these guys play. Does Darius Garland move up? People are saying if Chicago gets
1: number 4, Garland is their guy. Oh man. Vanderbilt kid, man. I could see that happening only because if it goes a route of I'm telling you, if it goes a route of uh the Knicks, Phoenix and Cleveland uh, it's probably going to be John ja Morant, R.J. Barrett, and Zion off the board, not in that order, obviously. And then Garland might be the next player available, but I believe he tore his ACL early in the season. It was something like that. So that might that might be too big of a risk, especially knowing their point guard injury history in Derrick Rose. I, I don't know if I would do that personally. but It's an upgrade over Chris Dunn on paper. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I'm just but saying. That's, 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 a, that's a big risk. That's a big risk, in my opinion. Um, look, you got to consider. There's a big
0: pool of talent. Two hundred thirty-three players elected to declare for this NBA draft. It's one of the highest amounts there's ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, an LIU kid actually declared as well. That's kind of funny. Um, but you know, when you're looking at the top five, you got the three guys from Duke: Zion, Reddish, Barrett, Ja Morant throw garland in
1: there jared culver jared culver from texas tech maybe a bobo possibly potentially Mm. i mean he was one of the most dominant players in college basketball until he got hurt very true and you saw how far oregon went without him and then you think about it how far could they have gotten with him it's just fair
0: and the draft lottery will be in chicago tuesday night Make sure to tune into that, folks. And the NBA draft will be on June 20th at the Barclays Center uh, down the road on the LIE
1: in Brooklyn, New York. So Now, before we get into it real sure. quick, just going to ask you a quick question Who's getting this number one overall pick? Who's getting it? I know the top three teams got 14%, so it's even, but who's getting it? I'm going to be positive and say the Knicks are going to get it. I want to be positive, too, because that would be the biggest. Oh, my God. Oh my goodness, that'd be. I think Zion wants to come here. I think
0: it makes the most sense from a media money standpoint. Exactly, because I mean, do you want to go to Phoenix in a front court that already has DeAndre Ayton, and the spotlight won't fully be on you? Well, yeah, it's a fair question, right? It is,
1: yeah.
0: Think about that. Well,
1: obviously, listen, it's not his. Who do choice. you think?
0: You think the Knicks will get it? I think the with Knicks, Knicks the, will with get
1: the, it with the Knicks' luck, though. I mean, but something's telling me, man. Something's telling me LeBron leaves Cleveland. And Zion is going to be the savior. Something in my gut is telling me that. I don't know what it is, but I hope it doesn't happen. Ooh,
0: you know, that's an excellent hot take right there. I hope it doesn't happen. Well, we'll know by next week, I think, where Zion's going, because I think he's going number one. That's just my take. Oh, without a doubt. Um, All right, so three local players quick. First off, Jalen Pickett. We're going over the three top New York players to declare. Mm -hmm. Jalen Pickett out of Siena College. Three hours up north, well, two and a half from my house, up in Albany, New York, on Ludenville Road, the Siena Saints, Jalen Pickett, a guard, averaged nearly 16 points a game, six and a half assists, a freshman. Fantastic in the MAC this year. I mean, he's fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Jalen Pickett was really good. And then, of course, your boy, Justin Wright Foreman, a senior out of Hofstra. Justin Wright Foreman. Last 11 games of the season,
1: Hofstra's the second-leading scorer in the nation at 31.5 points. I believe he finished off his career at Hofstra second overall on the all-time scoring list for Hofstra. He's just he's something else, You think he goes in the first round? Definitely not the first, but I hope he gets taken in the second round. And it'd be really special if he gets taken by a team by, like, Brooklyn or the Knicks. There's there's no Hofstra guys in the NBA. No, there, uh, there was one guy. I forgot what his name was. A while back. It was, oh, 90s, 80s.
0: Last guy on this yeah. list, Shamori Pons at a St. John's. Really, the only notable Johnny in note right now is Mo Harkless for the Trailblazers. Uh, Pons, a junior, averaged not, uh, just under 20 points a game, shot 45% from the field. I think he could go late first round. We'll see. Uh, it might be smart for some of these players to come back before they head into this draft. But on that note, we'd like to thank everybody for our show, for tuning in tonight here on Review and Preview on liuwave.org. Tune in next week where we recap the draft lottery, more NBA playoffs, MLB news, and much more. On behalf of Kyle Russo, and the technical operations were also done tonight by Kyle Russo. Thank you very much, Kyle. No problem. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. You've been listening to Review and Preview here on The Wave, the sound of LIU. Good night, everyone.